Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Gary Salamino is our guest today. He is the president and CEO of the North Carolina Chamber of Commerce. And uh, he has been in that position for how long now, Gary? Going on five weeks, Don. Five weeks? Mm -hmm. Uh, But you're not new to the chamber. No, I joined the chamber in 2011 doing their government affairs work. Well, uh, so uh, so that's, gosh, that's almost uh, how many years? Uh, starting my ninth. Ninth. Yeah. And they said you couldn't keep a job. That's right. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, Gary, thank you so much for being with us because the economy and growth in North Carolina, of course, is of interest to everyone. We have such an interesting state because we have some areas that are growing so rapidly, almost on their own, uh, and yet that needs to be guided. We have a number of areas that are depressed and are not doing well, and that uh, leads to challenges. Uh, but uh, the chamber's job in uh, in this role is to lobby and advocate and uh, work on behalf of business in North Carolina uh, to make it a good business climate and also to work for the welfare of the people of North Carolina. So tell us a little bit about the the, the uh, origins and the the role the chamber has in North Carolina. No, well, thank you, Don. It's a real privilege to be here uh, today. The The chamber has a, a really unique position in the community representing a group of very diverse businesses. And uh, our role here is to set a vision for the state. A couple years ago, uh, they wanted to have a five-year strategic plan for the North Carolina chamber. Well, some uh, very thoughtful folks in the room that day said, well, where's the plan for the state? And so they stepped back and they created something called Vision 2030. Uh, which is a long-range plan for economic security for our state that includes three pillars, education and talent, supply, business climate, competitive business climate, and infrastructure and growth. And those, those leaders said, together, if we can get that right, uh, when these three million people get here by the year 2030, if we had a plan in place that we can advocate for the right policies and do the right business education, then our state will be competitive not only for today but for tomorrow. And most importantly, our, our people will have jobs. And if our people have jobs, then our communities are going to be healthy. So our role is to keep the business climate competitive so companies that are here can grow and others can come and so that people can be at work and communities can be healthy. Well, North Carolina is a very desirable destination for almost any business because we have a wonderful climate. We have wonderful uh, physical assets and the beaches and the coast and, and uh, a, a, a political climate that is uh, purple. Uh, at, uh, which is in many ways a blessing uh, because we have a state that uh, is not, does not lean totally Democratic or Republican. As a matter of fact, it probably leans right down the middle. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of folks, of course, have registered an affiliate. So when we talk about Democrats and Republicans, there's a whole crowd that uh, sort of a waver between the two. So uh, I, I failed to mention that uh, when I said you had trouble keeping a job, that you had 19 years at GlaxoSmithKline before you joined the chamber. So you uh, came to the chamber with a role uh, background that says, okay, uh, from a business point of view, we sort of know what the chamber needs to do. And I'm sure that was very helpful to you. Yeah, I was very fortunate. Um, I had great experiences, great mentors at Glaxo. And then when uh, Lou Ebert came and asked me to consider coming to the chamber and helping build the the advocacy and the political program and the policy program for the state, it's something that a person in my career doesn't get a chance to build up from the ground up very often. So it was a great opportunity to sit down and put a policy mechanism in place and put a lobbying team together. And uh, we had great success. 
Well, one of the things that's always been interesting about North Carolina has always been the emphasis that this state has placed on education. We've often said that uh, North Carolina is, uh, is is located between Virginia and South Carolina. Both of those states had a great uh, heritage of uh, big plantations and such, and, and North Carolina was always a rather poor state and had farms instead of plantations, and so we've often said we're a sea of humility between those two mountains of conceit, and uh, we, that's our story, and we're sticking to, to it. it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think what it did do is it did put a really heavy emphasis on parents uh, all the way back uh, of saying, wait a minute, the way out of all of this is education, and North Carolina has... Uh, been very, very uh, proactive in being sure that our education system, our community college system, our college uh, university system, and our secondary system is uh, providing the opportunity for growth. And this is something that business really backs. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know that uh, a lot of folks have the impression that uh, business might be and industry might be concerned about spending money but uh, spending money on education is not one of the things that the business community is against. They're for it. Yeah, I mean, the, the business community, the largest consumer of talent in our state are folks that employ people. Yeah. Uh, so we have to have not only really talented young people coming out today, but we've got to have a fair and predictable talent pipeline system for the future so businesses can plan for growth here in North Carolina. And we have a very competitive business climate. We have a good talent supply system. But to be honest now, we've got to do better. The rate and pace of innovation in business right now and the rate and pace of innovation on our traditional education systems are not matching up. Uh, we have people and we have jobs, but right now the skills and the talents aren't messing up as, excuse me, matching up as well as we can. So we got to do a little bit better. Business has got to communicate more clearly to our educational system, and our educational system's got to communicate a little more clearly to our to our businesses. And together, we'll be able to be the best in the country. Now, your job is not actually to uh, to go out and recruit industry, but you're a vital part in providing the background for what the recruiters use uh, to. Uh, talk people into locating in North Carolina. So what are those uh, top issues that uh, the, the recruiters and those who are in business development uh, look to you and say, you know, this is what we really need. This is what uh, the cry is for when people are locating a business, whether it be one person or 500 or 1,000. They fall into three buckets, which are the three buckets that guide everything that we do. As we talked about, education and talent supply. Uh, are the from pre-K all the way up through university, are there appropriate on and off ramps for people to become lifelong learners, not only an employee of today, but a lifelong learner? A competitive business climate, are the taxes competitive? Are the unemployment insurance, is it competitive? Uh, are the, is the legal climate competitive? And in that particular bucket is healthcare competitive, where North Carolina right now is a little upside down on our value proposition. We don't have really good outcomes. We have higher costs. So what's the cost of health care? That goes into the cost of a job. And then the third bucket that they look for is infrastructure and growth, road, rails, ports. How are they going to get their people to work, their supplies in, and their products out in a timely and efficient manner? So it's a combination of all three of those things, and they work together. Now, I failed to sort of give some background on the chamber. Uh, the members of the chamber, of course, are businesses and industry and uh, it received no state support. It's all uh, contributions from those members. So how many members do you have, and uh, how diverse are they? Uh, well, they're, they're from one employee up into, a, and, you know, a, somebody like a SAS, so, and everything in between. 
Uh, we have an 85-member local chamber federation, which are the local chambers around the state. Uh, they tend to have um, companies that are smaller. Those are our members, too. So if you count up the local chamber federation members and our members, we have about 35,000 members in all. Uh, and about, that represent about 1.3 million North Carolinians are employed by those folks. And the range of industries is everything you can imagine from healthcare to tech uh, to companies that make little rocks out of big rocks and sell them all over the world and to uh, insurance companies, uh, both health insurance companies and liability insurance companies and law firms. Uh, so we, we're very, very diverse in, in our boardroom. From time to time, I suspect the various interests of your members uh, uh, sometimes conflict with each other. How do you handle that? How, when you have an issue that comes up that uh, some of your members benefit from and others are uh, concerned about it? Yeah, we have a unique way that we survey our members all the time. We survey the C-suite, so we have a CEO poll every year. We're consistently engaging our members either through conferences. We do 14 conferences a year. Uh, we are talking to them all the time. And we are really uniquely positioned, Don, to be a place that can convene diverge interests. So through our board meetings, through events that we have, we bring people of divergent interests together and have those hard discussions. And we try to arrive at consensus. And when we do, that is what our policy is. But there are issues where we don't have consensus. And if we don't have consensus, then that means that the business community has different interests. And if there's an issue that's particular to one industry where there's kind of a family food fight going on, we just step away from that one. Well, you almost have to because uh, in many cases, as I said, there's a, there's a natural conflict and, and uh, everyone has to look after their own best interest. And sometimes it's uh, a central group is not in a position to, to affect those things. Where does North Carolina stand on, on taxing uh, our businesses, and uh, how do we uh, rack up there as far as when a company looks to locate North Carolina? Are we competitive? We're really competitive right now. When we look at our corporate tax rate, we're of any state that has a corporate tax, we're the lowest in the country right now. So we're very competitive on our corporate tax rate, and our personal rates are also very competitive. So we're in a good spot, and I think we're seeing the benefits of that right now as more and more companies are looking to, to move to North Carolina. You know, the net in-migration, we were talking earlier, one of the top three or four states for net in-migration of business and talent in the country right now. And all those factors together, a good talent supply chain, and also a competitive tax climate goes a long way. Well, you know, there uh, d different states have different practices as far as taxing. I just came back from Florida where they lean pretty heavily on the tourists, and so they don't have a state income tax for individuals. Is that ever an issue with when people are located? They say, well, this state doesn't have an income tax for its employees. Yeah, we, we don't hear that one too much, to be honest with you, Don. The, the balance that we have in North Carolina, uh, really people like the balance that we have here. You know, there, there are certain reasons that we have to pay taxes in order for, for certain infrastructure projects and certain things that the state has to do. We don't hear about it too much. We think it's competitive and people are willing to, to pay those taxes for the good services we have. Well, it's interesting. Almost, uh, I mean, all of our peer states have almost the same uh, cost of uh, per capita cost of government it's just how you raise the taxes and some people lean a little more heavily on property tax and other forms of taxation and florida of course leans pretty heavily on the tourists i can tell you that from just coming back and looking at the bill from the hotel and the hotel tax that was added they do pretty well on right. us outsiders you know, there's a mouse down there that's doing really well there's a mouse down there that's doing quite well as a matter of fact that mouse has the largest number of employees at a single site of any company in the country. 
which is kind of interesting. Well, our guest is Gary Salamino, and we will be back with more, and we're going to talk about uh, the legislature and some of the uh, things that are pending at the legislature and may, may have already passed when we continue with uh, our Carolina newsmakers. Hi, everybody. I'm Susie Orman with an important message from the FDIC about keeping your money safe and sound. Recently, I got a letter from a woman who told me she took all of her money out of the bank and put it in a shoebox in her closet. What was she thinking? That's not a safe thing to do. You know what I told her? Put it back in the bank now. If your money is in an FDIC member bank and you stay within coverage limits, you have no reason to worry. You can't lose a penny no matter what. That's a lot safer than a shoebox, if you ask me. How can you make sure your money is totally FDIC protected? If I were you, I would want to know that. So here's what I want you to do. Go to myfdicinsurance.gov and click on Edie the Estimator and find out. That's Edie the Estimator at myfdicinsurance.gov. Go there today. Because the more you know, the safer your money. You've got your shades on, do you? So cool, so hip, so sheltered by frames of UV protection to show the world you are a force. But did you also know by wearing sunglasses you're doing your eyes a favor? That's right, sunglasses help avoid overexposure to the sun, which can produce red eyes, a feeling of grittiness, even excessive tearing. But you, oh master of the incognito, are taking care of your eyes without even knowing it. For more easy ways to keep keeping your eyes healthy, see your optometrist or visit AOA.org. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Gary Salamino is our guest. He is in his uh, very early tenure as the president and the CEO of the North Carolina Chamber of Commerce, uh, replacing Lou Ebert, who was in that job for a long time. And Lou, uh, uh, what, what's Lou doing? What's he? Oh, uh, Lou's out, out, out around the country helping other state chambers now build the kind of state chamber that he uh, built here. So he's helping other folks right now and enjoying his time with his grandchildren, I think. Well, that's a good thing for for Lou to do, and we uh, we certainly appreciate the service he gave to the chamber and to the state of North Carolina. Well, Gary, uh, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the uh, North Carolina legislature, North Carolina government, and how the chamber and the legislature works together. We have a, a legislature that is in session, and we're not quite sure how long they're going to be in session. They may be here long time they may be here to thanksgiving this year <laughs> the way things are going but what are some of the pieces of legislation that you advocated for this year that were passed or maybe some that are still pending yeah i mean when uh, some of the things that we've had success with and you know as in this in this environment right now a lot of stuff is tied up in the budget discussions that are going on but when we look at the education and talent supply chain you know financial literacy was something that was important that got through the general assembly this year also a codification of the my future nc attainment goal uh, to to align our different institutions around an attainment tell me a little bit more about that yeah that says that by um, you know they want to have two million certificates ready for people to have the jobs that are there for necessary for them by the year 2020 so, uh, no, I got that wrong, not 2020, 2030. So there's a, a really focused effort among the business community, education community to set a goal and go after that goal for uh, attainment of certifications and post-secondary degrees by the year 2030 with it. So that's now in the code with it. So we're really pleased with that. 
our education and talent supply pipeline needs that. We need to be nimble. We need to look for different ways to, to achieve that goal with it. When we look at other parts of the business climate that we're working on, you know, there's a big infrastructure issue now that we're dealing with uh, as DOT and and uh, the rest of the and the vendors for DNT as the suppliers for DNT work through uh, some unforeseen circumstances that have caused a short-term need to put some money back into the system and then a long-term need to diversify those sources. So. Uh, all these people are coming. We have a good planning system for the roads, uh, but, you know, we've not been here before. We have a, a lot of needs, and we have a lot of people coming, and we have some natural storms and disasters that no one can predict. So we're focused now on trying to, to get that near-term piece solved and uh, diversify our revenue sources and minimize our risk uh, going into the future. And uh, uh, from a tax perspective, there's a franchise tax piece in there, which is kind of a statewide property tax that everybody pays on their assets that uh, we think can be more competitive. That's tied up in the budget uh, right now, so we're hoping that, that they can work their way through that. And, uh, and the last piece is health care. We were supportive of a health care bill that would allow associations to bring people together uh, and have an association health plan where we could then begin to aggregate lives and particularly for small businesses zero to 50 employee businesses where uh, the north carolina chamber can bring folks together and treat them as a single employer that passed and uh, we're waiting now to hear what the courts have to say but if the courts are give a positive opinion we'll engage on that one pretty quickly well growth brings uh, some interesting challenges uh and North Carolina, of course, I think I read this past week we crossed uh, 10.4 million people in the state, and our growth, uh, especially in the Triangle and the Charlotte area, Greensboro, the whole P uh, Crescent areas, it continues to to uh, grow. And yet, we've got some areas that are not growing, and and they are also a problem. And so we have that that uh, challenge of how do we handle the areas that are actually losing population. Uh, how do we uh, attract more business and more growth to those areas? Yeah, it's a it's a really challenging problem, Don. We uh, we looked at our industry segments in the state, and we found that our largest industry segment, as everybody knows, is agriculture and agribusiness. So uh, we went out and found some A talent to bring into our organization to be our general counsel, a fellow by the name of Ray Starling. Uh, when he was in at NC State, was a national 4-H leader, then became Speaker Tillis's general counsel, Senator Tillis's. Uh, chief of staff and most recently was president's advisor economic advisor uh, on, for agriculture and ended up being chief of staff for the secretary of agriculture Sonny Purdue well now he is on the staff of the North Carolina Chamber as our general counsel with our laser focus on two things really one is agribusiness in the state and agribusiness as you know is in non-urban areas so how do we build the infrastructure and how do we build the the schools and how do we build the entities where uh, if you look at NC State study or our study, there's between 35 and 38,000 jobs in the food manufacturing process industry alone, particularly east of I-95, which has been extraordinarily hit. So how do we build infrastructure there that's resilient so that we can begin to process all that food that we're growing here and, and get it to market? So we believe that food manufacturing processing, agribusiness, uh, continued focus in on manufacturing uh, and making sure that those environments are productive, that they have clean water and sewer and infrastructure will be a key to the future, closing that gap between the urban and the non-urban areas. Now, that, that in itself is a problem because those, those, many of those counties are seeing their tax base actually go down, so their resources are more limited, and yet their needs are, are bigger. Uh, will we pay the state to, to supplement that and, and uh, 
help those communities uh, provide the infrastructure that will allow growth? Yeah, I think all kinds of options are on the table right now. One of the things that we do well at the Chamber is we fund studies or roadmaps out of our foundation. And one of the uh, foundation roadmaps that we're working on right now that Ray Starling is leading for us is how to rebuild eastern North Carolina. So all kinds of options will be there. We're going to go meet with economic developers, people in local communities, policymakers, businesses, and say, okay, what would it take? And how do we get that water treatment facility in a place that doesn't have uh, the tax base to bond it? Is there a public-private partnership in there? Is there some alignment we can with a company to, to help accelerate that type of infrastructure? So everything's on the table. We're in a listening mode right now with the hopes of developing a roadmap for that within the year. Now, you know, the opposite problem on infrastructure is those areas that are growing because they have to build new infrastructure. So infrastructure is at the top of the list in both situations, which is kind of interesting. In one case, there's a lack of funding. In another case, um, there's an investment that will pay off uh, sometime in the near future. That's right. So that's, that's uh, I guess, something that the legislature has to deal with. Yeah, the, you know, there's a, there's a mechanism in place for transportation right now, the Strategic Transportation Investment Program, which – puts uh, projects in by data-driven methods in order how, how to get those done. Uh, you know, there's some talk about other parts of infrastructure having that same type of data-driven processes for planning purposes. And I think we can do one for urban areas and one for non-urban areas. Well, we, we've got a couple of parking lot problems. Uh, we've got this parking lot problem between 7 o'clock and 8 o'clock between Raleigh and Durham and the Research Triangle. There's, there's a gigantic parking lot out there. Uh, but uh, transportation uh, gets to be a really key matter because we are growing so rapidly, uh, and uh, North Carolina does not seem to fit the model that so many states have been able to do as far as mass transportation because our population is a little bit more widely spread out. So uh, what do you see as the future for how do we solve our transportation problems in the two areas, uh, uh, the uh, getting uh, the poorer counties connected and also providing uh, a little bit better situation for the counties that are growing so rapidly. Yeah, that's a that's a really hard question, Don. I think I we're thought I'd like ask you a couple <laughs> more. <laughs> I, th I think uh, what we're seeing is uh, we're, if we build on the database processes that we have, I think it's important. If we look creatively at how to finance things going forward, and we have to mitigate, mitigate risk. And there's going to be uncertainty in the transportation area because we can't control the storms uh, in particular. Uh, so weather is going to always be a, a factor there. Uh, how do we get it there? I, I just think we need a long-range plan. And, and we begin. We know when the people are coming. We know where they're coming to. So we got to. Um, I'm a hockey fan. So we got to skate to where the puck's going to be, <laughs> and, and show some courage to to go and put some stuff in there before the folks get here. 540 is a good example. It's starting to get some use, but folks had foresight to put that in place before those two million people got here. And I think more more uh, projects like that, more foresight like that, more courage like that will be necessary if we're going to be the state we know we can be in 2030 when all those people get here. Uh, what, how does this, the self-driving car concept and self-driving vehicle uh, situation play into solving our transportation problems? Because apparently the uh, infrastructure, uh, or at least the technology for these cars, is already here. The public's not quite ready for it, and I'm not going to be ever be ready for it, I don't think. But, but uh, that's going to change the picture somewhat, isn't it? 
Yeah, I think all the technology will change. Well, you know, um, a virgin hyperloop, uh, all different types of things are out there now in development. And I think what we have to do is be open to all of them and then look at what our unique needs are and then put a plan together where we take advantage of what makes sense for North Carolina, what makes sense for our, our urban areas. I don't think there's going to be any one solution. I think it's going to be specific to the community and the area and the state. And fortunately, there's a lot of innovation going on right now, and I think we need to be open to it and take advantage of it. Well, and of course, the road construction costs a lot of money buying right away. Uh, There's been some thought for years that we should go ahead and buy right away now before the price goes up. Uh, Well, that takes money. And uh, the the question is, how much are we willing to pay? That's right. So um, generally speaking, uh, as you look across the state when you do polling and and I'm sure you are looking at surveys, Uh, North Carolina seems to be a very popular place as a destination for retirement also uh, because of our, I guess, a balanced uh, uh, climate and so forth. Uh, Is that something that you look at? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of talent. We we talk to um, demographers all the time, and folks are retiring here, but that doesn't mean they're not working. So there's a bunch of talent that's coming in later on in their careers, later on in their lives, and they may be taking advantage of our beaches and taking advantage of the mountains or finding that really cool house in Kernersville that they can be next to their next to their kids. But they're not really to hang it up yet. So yeah. they're, they're, they're consulting. They're coming back and helping small businesses. So we're encouraged by that. And that's an interesting thing because the, the retirement age uh, is still sort of set at 65, but a lot of people are not ready to retire at 65. That's right. We're yeah. seeing more and more yeah. of it. Garris Alamino is our guest. He's the president and CEO of the North Carolina Chamber. We'll be back with another segment of Carolina Newsmakers right after these messages. My memory is shot. My legs feel like lead. Every muscle in my body is screaming. So why does everyone think the problem is in my head? Chronic fatigue syndrome can be as isolating as it is debilitating, especially when those around you don't understand what you're going through. If you're experiencing extreme exhaustion coupled with difficulty sleeping and concentrating, body pain and flu-like symptoms, you could have chronic fatigue syndrome. But you're not alone. More than 4 million Americans suffer from CFS, and most of them don't even know they have it. Log on to www.cdc.gov CFS for the latest research and guidance on diagnosis and management. That's www.cdc.gov slash CFS. Get informed. Get diagnosed. Get help. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. When we get old, will you take care of me if I can't get around anymore? Of course. We'll find a way. Are you going to take care of me if I can't see anymore? I'll read to you every day. And if one of us gets Alzheimer's disease... What then? Call 1-800-437-2423 for a free booklet on caring for your loved ones from Alzheimer's Disease Research. 1-800-437-2423. Now once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. Gary Salamino is our guest. He's the new president and CEO of the North Carolina Chamber of Commerce, uh, who, along with the local chambers, serve nearly 35,000 members across the state of North Carolina advocating uh, on issues that affect business. And, of course, business affects jobs, and jobs affect everyone who's listening to the program. Uh, Gary, we have sort of put off talking about the community college system and the university system, but 
uh, as you travel across the country, um, uh, I, I've always had this feeling that people do not really realize, the average person does not realize how uh, much of a uh, inspiration our college system and our community college system is to other states ours is one of the best there, there's no doubt it's a it's a gem for our state it's a strategic competitive advantage for our business community and for companies that are here looking to retrain companies that are looking to come it's a it's a great asset for us and the leadership of that community college system now peter hans is uniquely positioned to lead that to even create a greater competitive advantage for us with our community college system and just as a side down i was very fortunate to serve on the wake tech board for eight years and it was some of the most rewarding things that i've ever done because you're there from a 19 20 year old kid getting their associate's degree to someone later in life that's on their second and third degree career and you got people and you have single moms and you have every walk of life that has had the opportunity to get an education get into the workforce so it's it's a it's really a gem for us and it's a key competitive advantage you know, uh, one of the things that I think the average person in North Carolina looks at it, when they think of college, they think of undergraduate education, and of course, a number of our uh, universities and college campuses in the in the university system. That's primarily their purpose. But you've got a huge amount of research going on at NC State, at UNC Chapel Hill, our private schools, Duke, and. Uh, uh, in particular, and these bring in thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars uh, that uh, sometimes I don't think the university system gets credit for uh, with the average person. It's vital to the economy. Vital to the economy, and it's it's world-class research that's coming out of those places that are developing products and innovations that are making everybody's lives better every day. Yeah. The, the stuff that's happening at NC State and, and how we're going to feed the world in the future is incredible, a brand new plant science is building over there that's going to revolutionize uh, agriculture and the, the research that goes into that. So it, we're very, very fortunate. I, th I think what we can continue to do better, Don, and uh, is how, once those innovations are in the lab and once we get the research money, how do we get them to the market quicker? Yeah. And how do we uh, attract more? Uh, the money will come if the products are getting out of the labs a little quicker. Yeah. So we're going to be talking to folks about, you know, appropriately, but how do we get those good innovations into the hands of people that will make them into businesses? Well, you know, all businesses start with one employee, and okay. some grow like, say, an Amazon or something of this nature, but they all started with one employee. And so helping the smaller businesses grow is a, is a very important thing because you never can tell when someone has this innovative idea that could lead to a huge company and a huge number of employees. But the research coming out at UNC Chapel Hill – uh, and as part of NC State, uh, they're constantly in the top five as far as getting grants from the federal government, which is incredible because if you look at the schools behind them, it's a blue, it's a blue chip <laughs> list. <laughs> and uh, that uh, just uh, – of course, it also is a source of employment because uh, all that research uh, is funded with uh, uh, money that uh, provides jobs. Um how important is that in acquiring new businesses when they look at the innovative college and community college system that we have? Uh, it's really important. It's important for their workforce development, their workforce needs, and it's important for their employees and the, the families of their employees yep. to have a top-class uh, education talent supply system that they can take advantage of. It's a recruitment tool, and it's a way to keep their businesses sharp and innovating, so it's critically important. Well, you know, we've talked about this several times on this program before, but – Many uh, many economies and states across the country 
have not been able to recover. If you go back, of course, about 30 years ago, we, we had textiles, furniture, and tobacco manufacturing, and all three of those industries are virtually gone, and yet we have continued to grow and fill those gaps. And it's been uh, the uh, community college system and the university system that has helped fund mm-hmm. that and fill those those needs. And that's incredible because we have grown despite losing three major sources of employers. Yeah, we've shifted really well into yep. the tech industry. The STEM sciences are strong here. Mm-hmm. Life sciences industry really, really enjoys a, a good and solid presence here, whether it's in the vaccine side or whether it's in the pharma production side. So uh, we've done a nice job of advancing the STEM uh, curriculums here, and it's really a, a looked at around the world as a place that people can come and grow and have reliable talent. Now, North Carolina's growth is probably going to give us one, maybe even two additional congressmen. How, how, how does that affect us as far as having influence on the federal government? Yeah, I think it's more representation, right? The founding no. fathers set it up in a way that, uh, particularly members of Congress, uh, the more members you have, the fewer people that can influence them, which is good, yep. and closer to the people. So it's, a, it's an identification of our growth, of our importance. Uh, it, could only, it can only be good for us. What... Um, um, when you look at uh, the the smaller cities in these uh, sort of tweener areas, between the depressed areas and the growth areas, uh, I'm talking about counties like Harnett County, where Dunn is located, and so forth. What where is their future? Where do they fit into this picture? Because they're sort of a tweener. Yeah. What we've been noticing is that those counties, uh, they might be the collar of the collar counties, as yep. they talk about it. Uh, half of their folks are going to one area to, to work and half are going to the other. So I think we just got to get really good at making sure that the transportation systems are solid so that they can get to where they need to be and that our community colleges are meeting the needs in those particular areas. Because those are going to, they're going to go to different places uh, to find work. And some are going to go closer to the city, some are going to go farther out. So I, I, it's going to be tough, but I, I think if we put the right education systems in place and the right transportation systems in place, we can we can help those folks. Now, I'm sure you spend a lot of time uh, talking to the General Assembly uh, about uh, these these various problems. Um, the infrastructure bill, do you have a total on that? Has anybody come up with how much money we're going to need in the depressed areas, and uh, then also how much money do we need in the growth areas for infrastructure, and, and how quickly do we need that money? Well, we need it. We need money as quickly as we can. We've done some stuff back in 2015 that uh, puts regular amounts of money back in now, is less reliant on the gas tax, so it gives some predictable flow, so we've solved that problem. But we're going to need you know billions of dollars over time. That's not only from here, but from the federal government and those matches in order to get everything done. Uh, we don't have a definitive number on it, but it's north of you know five six billion dollars over the next ten years that we're going to need to meet the needs and, and objectives of, the, of that program. Uh, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's big, big money. No, that's big money. <laughs> yeah, really uh, a lot. Well. Um, uh, you know, growth is a blessing, and and sometimes it's a curse, because uh, cities also have the problem with the uh, uh, the uh, tax base, uh, because many people are living in the areas around and don't want to be incorporated, and yet they want the facilities that the city can provide. Uh, where's the future of that going? And I, people just need to keep talking and sort out. I, I think uh, sometimes we. We all tend to go to our corners a little bit too early. And I think if people talk and if we begin to regionalize and our 
water development systems, our wastewater treatment systems, and we begin to regionalize some of the uh, disposal systems that we have, some of the water treatment, I think people will come together and begin to look at what they have in common. And you can, you can have both, but if you're not talking, that's when the trouble happens. Yeah. And so we're just going to encourage people to keep talking and work through it. You mentioned earlier the importance of health care, and, of course, the cost of health care continues to go up, and that's a major league concern of all businesses in providing their employees with insurance uh, uh, and uh, coverage as far as taking care of their medical bills. Um, that is uh, a major league concern. What, what's going on there? That, yeah, it's, a, it's really interesting, and it's very similar to the education and talent supply chain uh, challenges that we have. There's a, the folks that are in the supply chain. Right now, both in healthcare and education, we tend to lean towards a supply-driven approach. Uh, we need to shift. The business community needs to come back and reclaim those positions as make it a little bit more demand-driven approach. So in healthcare, we have great healthcare institutions, some of the brightest people in the world here, uh, some of the healthiest people in the world. However, overall, our health is not good and our costs are high, and that's because we don't have an alignment of our supply chain towards a common goal. So we've done some work with our healthcare members and our non-healthcare members, and instead of just focusing in on cost, we want to focus in on value. How do we get people healthier and a more predictable cost, lower cost? Right now, we're 33rd in the country based upon the United Health Foundation study in value. That's, we don't want to be 33rd in anything uh, with it. So uh, we want to be a top 10 state in value where our people get healthier and we get more reliable, predictable costs for that. That will give us distinct competitive advantage. What that's going to take, Don, is a lot of discussion, a lot of collaboration, bring in the insurance companies, the pharma companies, the lab companies, everybody that's in that supply chain together like our other members do and say, we have a goal here of we want a, this value of a product, in this case healthcare. we want to pay this much. Uh, how are you all going to do that for us? And for the payers of healthcare, which are the you and me and the people in the, uh, that pay taxes and premiums, how do they get back control of their dollar and drive value? We're going to have those discussions and try and get people in the room to, do, to have them. Uh, incentives to industry to locate in a particular state uh, is a, a curse and a blessing. And, of course, a, a lot of states uh, almost have to go to that because they don't have the other advantages that North Carolina has. How do you think we balance off uh, the incentive that we give to new industry with uh, protecting those industries that have been here and been paying taxes for years? Yeah. Well, the, by getting our climate competitive first for the folks that are here, the hometown, and I think our, our tax climate's competitive. We've done a lot, of, a lot of work over the last 10 years to get us competitive. So not right now, we're a really competitive place to look at. We get into the very short list quickly without offering any money on the table just by the climate that we have here right now. So I, I think it's fair uh, if as long as we keep the folks here competitive – um, whether you like incentives or not, until someone says they're illegal, we're going to have to have them. You, know, you don't want to unilaterally disarm yourself in the, in the world and in the, in the competition for jobs. But I think we're doing really well here to get on the short list quickly because of how good our climate is for the long term. And then having a little bit there probably is, is a sweetener to get the key ones over. And I think we can target industries even better than we're doing right now. Gary Salamito is our guest. He's the president and the CEO of the North Carolina Chamber. And we'll be back with one final segment here on Carolina Newsmakers right after we take time out for this break. In small towns and big cities, from coast to coast and around the world, Habitat for Humanity volunteers gather with purpose. Hand in hand, they come together. They may be strangers or 
They may be friends, but they are all builders of hope and homes. Hammers are raised, bricks are laid, dreams take shape, and another family finds shelter in a home they help build. Through their time and talents, Habitat for Humanity volunteers are helping change lives for the better, and in the process, maybe even changing their own lives as well. Together, we can eliminate substandard housing. Won't you join us? Support the work of Habitat for Humanity in your community or wherever your heart leads you. Now more than ever, please volunteer, get involved, and help build it. Visit us at Habitat.org. The entire world watched. They watched each step down the rungs of that small ladder, one after another, and waited with great anticipation for that last step. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. At that moment, humanity saw the impossible become the possible. And today, the sky is not the limit. Achievement. Pass it on. A message from the Foundation for a Better Life. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. This is Carolina Newsmakers. I'm Don Curtis. Gary Salamino is our guest. He's the president and the CEO of the North Carolina Chamber. A reminder to all of our listeners that this program comes in two forms. A number of our stations carry the full-hour version, and a number carry the half-hour version. If you happen to be listening to one of the stations that carries the half-hour version and you'd like to hear the other two segments that you missed, then our producer uh, has... Uh, Put those on the website, carolinaneesmakers.com, and you can go hear those two segments, which are isolated. You don't have to listen to the entire program. Or if you'd like to share the entire program with a friend, you can do that also. That site is carolinaneesmakers.com, and uh, it is always there for you. And all the programs that we've done for our, uh, how long we've we been doing this program, 20 years, they're all there. Uh, I have not ever gone back and listened. Maybe we ought to go back and listen to what Lou Ebert said 10 years ago. Yeah, and see That might be an interesting program sometime. Gary uh, Salamino, as I said, is our guest, and he is in, it, in the new role as president and CEO of the North Carolina Chamber, which along with the chambers that they are associated with across in local communities represents some 35,000 businesses. Gary, uh, you will be leaving. We're recording this program in advance, and so you'll be leaving our studios here in a few minutes and going back. When you get back to your desk, uh, what what's at the top of your list? What are some of the things that you're working on that uh, are of immediate concern to you and uh, things that uh, are going to take your time and energies over the next couple of weeks and next couple of months? Well, thanks. Yeah, Looking at our mission, which is still the same from Vision 2030, and trying to figure out what the next installment on that mission is. You know, we have a, uh, a document, we have a plan, we've had a really good five-year run on that plan. So for us, it's prioritizing for 2020 through 2025, what's the next installment on that plan so that we meet our goals by 2030. You know, with all those people coming by 2030, we have to continue to be laser-focused in on education and talent supply. How do we become the best in the world? How do we become the best for healthcare value in our country, if not the world? And how do we make those strategic investments in infrastructure before those folks get here so that businesses keep coming? If businesses keep coming, 
people will have jobs and communities all across our state will be healthier. So for us, it's the next installment on that plan, uh, 20 through, excuse me, 2020 through 2025. We'll spend the rest of the year trying to get that finalized. Uh, our foundation has uh, got a good plan in place, and now we're going to be looking to raise some money for it. And uh, we're going to be a focus uh, on education and talent and healthcare like you've not seen before. Businesses come and go. We are seeing a huge shift uh, in the last five or six years between uh, those businesses that rely on social media, uh, the Internet, and so forth, and uh, uh, the brick-and-mortar retailers. Where do you see that going? That's a really good question. I think it's going to be a combination of both. It's just how uh, an individual business can drive its efficiencies and how do you take advantage of the different media outlets for it. So we're always going to have to have brick and mortar. We're always going to have to have food. We're always going to have to have energy. Uh, we're going to need distribution centers. We're going to need uh, raw materials to build things, uh, whether they're computers or whether they're cars and or tractors. So I think it's going to be a balance. We're clearly going to shift the economy to more of a service-based economy. We're going to see technology and automated vehicles and automated tractors become a, a better part, uh, bigger part of our economy. But the jobs are still going to be there. They're just going to be different and require different skills. As you uh, look at those companies that are looking to, to locate and relocate, uh, North Carolina, uh, is there a particular category that we are focusing on uh, uh, that fits our needs better than others? I think there's a couple. I think the life sciences uh, really find a really nice home here uh, for a lot of different reasons. So you look at life sciences, the financial services industries are really strong uh, in this area. Agribusiness and food manufacturing processing is going to be something you're going to see a lot more growth in, in that area. And we still have a very strong manufacturing base done. We have great manufacturers here, uh, particularly in the Piedmont Triad area and all through the state. Uh, they'll be making different things. They'll be leaner. They'll be more automated. But we just ha we have a really good talent supply here for manufacturing, advanced manufacturing. So those four or five, I think, are going to continue to grow. They'll look different, but there's plenty of opportunity. One of the things that keeps coming up when we have guests on uh, from time to time is the need for broadband Internet to be available to all parts of the state. And we, are, in many respects, are a little ahead of the curve for a lot of states, but we that is a key ingredient. And Explain why that's so important. Yeah, it's really important. Right now we are ahead of the game because a good foresight a number of years ago put a lot of dark fiber in the ground that's going to our schools and libraries and in all of our communities. So we have the basis of really good broadband there. But educating our kids, I mean, uh, most of the stuff is on your phone right now. I know I'm at a third uh, child in college and they're taking two or three classes and they're never going in a classroom now. So education, engagement, getting information is way different. So having broadband available, particularly to our young folks, is really, really important but also to our businesses. Uh, how are they going to take their orders? How are they going to get their stuff out? Uh, can they automate their manufacturing facilities? H how is all that going to come together? Well, you need broadband in order to do that, to be most efficient, keep your costs down, and be competitive in the marketplace. So it's very important. We talked about the cost of, uh, of health care. Cost of education is another area where North Carolina, especially with our uh, public university system, has been able to remain very, very competitive, and yet uh, the cost is continuing to rise. What do you see as solutions there? 
Well, I, I don't know the answer to that one, but I know that I'm very blessed to have my third uh, child that's in a state university system right now, and we were able to get the first two out without any debt uh, between their working and, and, and our being able to help them. And that's only because it's very, very cost-effective here. So uh, regardless of uh, some of the challenges we face, uh, I think North Carolina's commitment to uh, an education that's affordable, still remain affordable, is strong. And it's really important that we can get these young folks out without a lot of debt if we can help it, although it does have a cost. And, so, and, and our system is, is well respected, and, and yet uh, other schools and other universities and other states are very envious. And so they are uh, actually becoming big competitors for uh, teaching faculties and research faculties. And that's a problem. Yeah, well, we'll up our game, and uh, then we'll be competing just as well with them. I, I have great confidence in our university system leaders to, to have our folks ready. So uh, if you were to look at uh, transportation and education and uh, uh, rate those, uh, where, do, where do you see the General Assembly's next problem, uh, not maybe this session, but next session? What are they going to have to focus on to keep North Carolina moving ahead on an orderly and, and a good basis? Uh, education and talent is always going to need to be a focus because the rate and pace of innovation of the companies uh, and the industries around is on unprecedented levels, how quickly they're changing and innovating. So getting our education and talent supply systems to be more nimble, uh, develop more on and off ramps, recognizing that our young people and our citizens are going to have three to five careers. Uh, unlike um, it was historically. So that can that lifelong learning continuous on and off ramps, getting more nimble is going to be critically important. And infrastructure, uh, if, you, if you have products and services but you can't get them to market and you can't get your raw materials in, then you're not going to be competitive. So I think those two together are going to be the key to our success. Uh, we feed a lot of people. We need to continue to feed the world. And we have competitive energy prices. We need to continue to focus in on making sure we modernize, but at the same time make our, continue to have our prices be competitive. Well, a lot of areas that we didn't get to, and uh, our time is running out, so we'll just have to save these for another occasion. I, I didn't bring up uh, travel and tourism because that's a very important part of our economy and, and has uh, some good opportunities for growth there as well. But, Gary, thank you so much for being with us. Gary Salamino is new to his new job as president and CEO of the North Carolina Chamber. Uh, we appreciate you sharing time with us. Uh, if you have missed most of this broadcast, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear the entire broadcast. If you're listening to the uh, half-hour versions, you can hear the two segments that you missed. Our producer uh, will have another interesting guest for us next week, or at least he promises me he will, and I have reason to believe that he will do just that, if no other reason than for job security. <laughs> we, we will look forward to being with you again next week on the same group of stations. Till next week. Have a nice week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.